Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. Okay. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, or afternoon, depending where you are. Good morning, if you're in Saranka or something. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm, the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, New England's own Van Helsing. And with me across the pond, in the land of the leading soccer team, Wales, uh, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons. Good evening. How are you? Yeah, just ducky. So Wales, ducky. Wales, Wales is leading your your division, I guess, or whatever the hell that is. I can't never figure that. You're out. asking completely the wrong person. I don't care about soccer. You posted it. I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yeah, so Wales, what? England, Russia. No, that wasn't me. You're reading somebody else's posts. Ah, I don't know. You all Brits all look alike to me. No, we don't. <laughs> you wouldn't say that to a Welshman because they all talk funny like that, you see. And I, yeah. I mean, you know, Stephen Scott would have a different take on it. I guess so. Anyways, uh, anyway. you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Astronet, uh, Planet Paranormal, or wherever the hell's will be being played. And um, we, of course, now have, or maybe even iTunes, and speaking of iTunes, we now have the morning edition every Monday morning at 11 right here on Tojinet. You can listen to us and also listen to that on uh, iTunes as well. It's cutting-edge paranormal conversation. Unlike my other shows, it's it's right on the leading edge of everything. So there you go. So, Mr. Parsons, I I actually have a news feature for you. Cool. Welcome yes. to Midsummer Murders, by the way. Midsummer Day. This is true. It's a long one. It's actually not. In uh, it's, I know because of the because of the leap year. It was actually the longest day was yesterday, but yes, yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I had post, And I had posted a quiz on my website, Ronald Kolick, on Facebook, and you could <laughs> see whether you were a druid wizard or a midsummer moron. So there you go. So, anyways, I I yeah. have break, I have some pretty interesting news, and we've talked about this on the show before, but now this seems like uh, this is really good. It says how you're often? Tell, you, I thought you were about to tell me the Warrens actually investigated Borley Rectory. No, how often <laughs> are legends validated by archaeological finds? Not frequently, but it happens. It does happen. Everyone starts believing to some extent. 500 years ago, the British Isles were terrorized by hellish black dogs. One of the most famous was the Black Shuck, a giant hellhound with burning red eyes and a matching attitude. An ancient legend tells that the night of August 4th, 1577, I remember that well, a storm was raging near, oh God, Blytheburg, Suffolk. Blytheborough. Blytheborough. No, Blytheborough. No, Blytheborough. 
It's Berg, B-U-R-G. I don't care. Okay. Uh, villagers took uh, sanction inside the Holy Trinity Church. Suddenly, the doors burst open, and a monstrous dog barged in, snarling and growling. It set its blood eyes, blood, 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 bloody eyes, red blood eyes, upon a man and a boy. Who How many eyes did it have? I don't know, quite a few, evidently. Whom he killed before fleeing the church when the steeple, steeple collapsed. Wow, isn't that cool? But that's, that's the story. But Bly, you know, Blyberg, or whatever the hell they have, residents, say you can still see the claw marks uh, on the church's door to this day. Cool. And according to some, the legend of the black shock, 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 shock. was inspiration of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Hounds of Basketball. Mm. Basketball. But last year, archaeologists were excavating the ruins of Liston Abbey in Suffolk. Did I get that one right? Lewiston? Eh, whatever. And I'm well, covered, how, how is it spelled? L-E-I-S-T-O-N. Liston. Liston. Or Liston. Liston is probably the more likely. Okay. Liston Abbey in Suffolk, England, uncovered the remains of a giant dog that once stood seven feet tall on its high legs. High legs. A veterinarian was called in to the dig and estimated that the mammoth dog weighed approximately 200 pounds when it lived. Oh, it's a wolfhound. Could this skeleton have belonged to the black shock, the demon canine who terrorized the church? And why was it buried on holy grounds? Was it ritualistics? Radiocarbon dating will show us this dog's lifespan. And if the time frame is correct, the legend gets a reality boost. But no matter what, the tale of the black shot, shock will surely persist. How do you like that, Mr. Parsons? That's very cool. Isn't it cool? That's very cool. So presumably, then, we're dealing with the wolfhound, aren't we? No, or, black or one of those, or one of those very large dog types. No, two hundred no, pounds. No, no, no. Seven uh, foot please, tall. Please, seven have foot you seen tall. The, uh, have you seen the size of an Irish wolfhound? Uh, should I? Uh, they're about two hundred pounds and about seven feet tall when they stand on the back legs. They are huge. Yeah, yeah, or even yeah. a Great Dane. You know, well, I mean, nope, they're, they're you can put a dis- saddle on one of them things. It's like horses. They're kind of discounted that. You know, they brought the veterinarian in, and uh, you know, maybe there's some some. No, I'm not, I'm, not den- I'm not denying that there isn't a big black dog. Or that there isn't a big dog skeleton there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it could be. Pro- All right, is that what you said? Well, okay, well, you know, what let's... I'm saying is, what you've got is probably a good link to the origin of the legend. Because there is, I mean, if we go to North Wales for a minute, there used to be a long-told legend of a fairy mountain and of an apparition that appeared regularly clad in shimmering gold, shining gold. And in the 19th century, now nobody knew about this, obviously, but this legend existed. People had reported seeing this apparition in shimmering gold rising from this this fairy mound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when archaeologists eventually excavated the mound in the 19th century, they found inside it a Bronze Age cloak made of pure 24-carat gold adorning a skeleton. And the cloak today is in the British Museum. 
in the barrel. That's really wow. That's right. So, what I mean, are you dealing with folklore and folk history that's that's been passed down orally and slipped into but, mythology? Are you dealing but, with genuine paranormal incidents? But, but is isn't but, all but, legend based on some fact? Uh, actually, a lot of it is. Archaeologists, um, modern archaeologists, are actually taught not to ignore. Um, let local legends, because in in actual fact, what they did, what they found out is that local folklore and legend often has a basis, a strong basis in fact, mm-hmm. and that ignore it at your peril. If, but you're giving me an idea for a guess now, because I think we'll get Brian Saunders back on again because he's an archaeologist. We'll ask him. Okay, that sounds good to me. I'm I'm good with that. Uh, next week we have a good guest. We have Stephen Brad. Uh, so. I'm excited about that, but uh, that's next week. Yeah. This is this week. This is this so, week. Yeah. Uh, so, have you ever gone to this Bright, Brighton, whatever? Blythe Well, it could be Blythe Burr or Blythe Borough. Depends okay. how you say it. Over here, um, like if you look at Edinburgh, it's Edinburgh, but it's said Edinburgh. Uh huh. Except by Americans who say Edinburgh. 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 Yeah. Yeah, borrow. Uh, Rabbit's River borrows. Uh. So, anyways, have you gone to this this no. church? No. Why is it but far away? It's a very far away. Um, it's very cl- It's probably much nearer to Mister Taylor, who is uh, a psychic friend of ours, uh, who lives on that side. It's on the east coast of. It's on the uh, the North Sea coast on the east side, about two hundred miles. 250 miles from here but we're not short of black dogs over here in fact um the road upon which i live which links uh the town of haverford west to pembroke um also has a black dog legend of its own that dates back many many so perhaps we can send our friend mr taylor out to investigate this church first and get us a couple pictures and and he's a, uh, a psych. Is he a psychic too? I believe he is. He's a psychic. Of, you know, he of, could do a little report for us. He, he, well, yes, he could. We could send him out. Um, yeah, I think he's like a little busy. Sparky uh, Scott. Yeah, he's a little busy at the moment, but I'll speak to him and I'll get him on the case. There you go. Yes, go so. on with your whales, uh, dogs. Yeah, we we have black dogs all across the UK. Um, right. We have, but in particular, uh, I, I don't know of many regions that don't actually. But they they are particularly common on the east eastern side of the UK. But they're not uncommon on the west, and uh, where I live, the down towards a, a, um, an area of Haverford West known as Merlin's Bridge, uh, it, not named after the wizard Merlin. But it's a corruption of the well, the name for Magdalene or Mary, Saint, uh-huh. Saint Magdalene. Right. Uh, there is a black dog legend, and there is also we have a lot of black bulls and black sort of black, black four-legged things with glowing red eyes. Right. Uh, okay. So let's kind of look at this. I mean, are these legends? I mean, are they like they're, they're not hairy animals? Are they or, or are they? Do you know? Oh, more gosh, about? yeah. I mean, we have black bulls. Predominantly, and black dogs are the two main classes. We're talking I mean, about the, dogs. We're talking about the black yeah. shark, the dogs. Uh, we have we have black dogs in West Wales. We have black dogs in the Midlands on the south so, coast. Uh, so, do, do you have better descriptions than just a large dog with glowing eyes? Um, uh, well, <laughs> well, when we come back, to the do animal? they have long hair, or, or are they short-haired, or, or 
they're described. I'm, frankly, I've just got an idea for another guest. Then we'll get one of the leading experts on black dogs, Doctor Simon Sherwood, to come onto the show in a few weeks. Oh, we've gonna, had him on before, I think. We so. can actually do uh, black dogs because he himself has seen a black dog uh, when he was Okay, young. so we better put this off then. So you so, just killed my whole show. Thanks for uh, telling well, me. Well, that's all right because that's not what you told me the show was about anyway. So it doesn't can, matter. I always change my mind. You know that. I know, but I'm going to make you stick to the subject while I flick rapidly through the West Wales legend to see if I can oh. find the story of the black dogs of West Wales. Right, no, no, we'll let it go. We'll, we'll go back to the black okay. dog. All right. All right. So, anyways, um, you know, I saw a, a recent report, in fact, sorry, yeah. today, in regards to the full moon. Yeah. Now, the full moon uh, does have an effect on uh, the human body. In fact, when there's a full moon, we actually lose about five minutes of sleep uh, on the average, according to this leading sleepologist, if there's such a word. And um, so I, I've thought, started thinking about it. How much does atmosphere, if, if we can lose five minutes of sleep because of a full moon, how does atmospheric conditions affect uh, paranormal investigating? Well, obviously, they affect a key part of paranormal investigating because they affect the witness. Um, the experience. The human experience. So there is a range of temperatures. I think it's round very, very close to 92 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, below the temperature of 92 degrees, people feel comfortable. Above 92 degrees, it's a, it's a grey area. It's not precisely 92 yeah, degrees. But above that, above that zone, people feel too hot. But at just 92 degrees, people get irritable and they get angry. And there are actually more murders and fights that break out at 92 degrees or in that zone uh, than, than others. So, of course, the, the uh, weather, the atmosphere, the environment that you're in um, will affect your perception of the paranormal and your interpretation of the paranormal because it is affecting the humans. But in a physical sense... The weather conditions, the climactic conditions uh, of, of any location, uh, inside or outside, you know, the inside weather of a building is affected directly by the outside weather. Yeah, most people building. don't understand that, that, that oh. when you're inside a building, you're actually in your own little weather zone. Yeah, and they also seem to neglect. Now, this probably doesn't hold quite as true for uh, modern air-conditioned sealed unit buildings as it, as it does uh, perhaps over here in the UK where we have less air-conned buildings. Can't but, afford air condition, is that what it is? Oh, we don't need it. <laughs> we, uh, but the internal weather is usually directly uh, affected by the external weather. I mean, in, even, even in an air-conditioned sealed box, you would have the air conditioning on higher in the summer when the, the shell of the building heats up and in the winter you would heat the building artificially. So... All of those conditions apply, but it, it, it's also the case that the humidity um, affects the way that the air uh, holds an electric charge. It will affect uh, your electromagnetic field meters, for mm -hmm. example. It will, if the air is holding a high electric charge, if the air is very, very dry because the air conditioning or uh, is is set wrong, or indeed it's just a very dry desert day. Uh, because you live out in the in, in Tyler, Texas, for example, um, on these very very dry days, the air will 
generator or hold a higher static electric charge. And that will make things, physical things like the, the skin, uh, the hairs on your skin will rise. And you'll feel, you can actually feel the electric, the static electric charges running across your skin sometimes. And that can feel very, very like fingers or lightly touching you. So even in very, very subtle ways, the weather and the atmosphere, the environment can affect us. And there has been some research, I understand, to look at the moon since you raised the, the lunar cycles. Mm-hmm. And this was this was paid a great deal of heed to by, by a number of television shows who also included moon data uh, alongside the, the temperature data and, and stuff like well, that. Where we do an investigation, we tag the moon cycle as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of investigators do. But there, is, there isn't a huge body of evidence to suggest that the lunar cycle is affecting the paranormal uh, events themselves. It may be affecting the individuals, and there is certainly some uh, research that suggests that people get a bit cranky around the time of the full moon, which mm-hmm. may be one of the reasons it gives le- le- legend to the vampire stories. But could be a lack of sleep. <laughs> it could also be the lack of sleep. But we are affected by the world around us. You know, we are a creature of the planet. But we've also evolved to deal with these weather situations and these atmospheric conditions. You know, we've had. Yeah, you know, half a millennia, half a uh, half a billion, half a million years. I don't know, five hundred thousand years. Man's been around, doesn't in different forms. So we have evolved. We do, you know, we do exist with weather systems, and we do exist with the atmosphere, and we get along with it. So you know, we have adapted in the main to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the weather is certainly. Uh, I mean, it. It's so much like, you know, for instance, you know, if if you were to get OBS, uh, humidity will certainly affect the amount of OBS uh, on a uh, on a camera that you might get. Uh, or, or there well, are other certainly things. The case. I mean, it's ecto- it- certain if humidity is high, you might get uh, ecto mist uh, on your camera as well. Well, there's also, it, it, you're absolutely right, it affects the, the, the production of orbs in the, in the sense that we understand them to be dust and moisture, because if the air humidity is high, of course, I mean, you spray the ground to, to, to you know, you see on construction sites, you spray the ground to keep the dust levels down, but you also increase the, the higher levels of humidity, depending upon the temperature and the relative humidity, you might actually increase the number of moisture orbs that are present. So there is a trade-off one to the other, and it's not... People say, oh, I didn't see my breath, um, therefore these are not moisture orbs. Don't really understand the interaction between relative humidity and temperature and dew point. Dew point is the point, the point at which the water vapour will condense out of the atmosphere. And that can, that can change, you know, you can have a dew point, you can have misty, foggy days, even in the high 20s of celsius so that the the 70s of fahrenheit um and you can have misty foggy days even when the temperatures are around freezing and it's nice to see that nathan uh, in the chat room is wearing his summer dress mm-hmm. um but he's complaining because the building aircon is too high for him well put trousers on and a woolly jumper so um yeah the weather 
the weather does affect affect individuals and it's something that's overlooked and it's something people say i mean one of the classic ones is we've come to we've, you've touched on orbs uh, these movements that are captured on video cameras because the air inside the building wasn't moving it was you know we'd sealed the doors it was stagnant air it wasn't moving but if you measure the app the if you use a micro barometer and you measure the, the changes in air pressure inside that room. And these are the, the micro changes in air pressure. They are more than sufficient to create the drafts and the microscopic air currents that will lift. And, and then the other thing I was going to mention, of course, is, is in that same line is, is thermal currents. Every building has yeah. thermal currents through it. Uh, you know, heat does rise no matter how you look at it. And uh, it doesn't take much for a dust particle to get caught in a thermal eddy and uh move and 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 any what is that uh cal he's trying my number tonight oh cool so i mean these are all things that you have to take into account when you do an investigation and, and that's why you know uh even if you believe orbs are uh spirit energy and not you know without one percent of them if you believe that you, you have to take an account of uh you know the the atmospheric conditions you know why oh this is a a spirit orb because it moves this way well you know i remember someone showing me in fact a friend of mine uh you and i both know willie and um uh, he showed me this uh, f- uh video and he said well you, you'll you watch this orb and see how it behaves and there's a woman in a room she gets up and she leaves and as she goes out of screen, you see this orb come up off the floor and then follow her out. Imagine that, follow her out. And, and the reason that happens, of course, is because as we move through the atmosphere of a building, we also create uh, drag and lift, and we actually can draw things after us, much like a, uh, a race car or an aircraft or anything else. Or even, I mean, at a very simple level, just run your hand through a bath of water, bathtub of water and watch the ripples and eddies and vortices that come off your hand. And it's exactly the same as you walk through a room. Um, even if you shut every door and seal that room, mm-hmm. um, there will be no stationary air. We've actually done experiments uh, a long time ago where we demonstrated this using... It was, a, it was a version of... We're talking 15 years ago. It was not dissimilar to the laser grid. Um, that are used by modern investigators. But what this was was a camera. Oh, the disco ball? <clears throat> the disco ball. The camera was in play, uh, The lens of the camera was at the apex of a cone of laser light that shone out from uh, a concentric laser. And you could actually measure the distance to the, spect- the speckles of dust as they went through the camera and the mm-hmm. directions as they went through the, through the laser light. Uh, and we were able to demonstrate using that alongside a micro-sensitive uh, barometer. So this was one that was sensitive to thousandths of a millibar. I mean, that's an incredibly small amount. And that the air never, ever settles in a room. because It can't because you've got thermal gradients from, from different surface temperatures. You know, you've got a window which is colder than the wall on the opposite side. You have a floor that's warmer than the ceiling. The hot air is rising and it's cooling and falling back to the warmer floor which is being heated. The whole thing is just a, a complex mess of, exactly. of, of thermal waves. Um, and each of those is carrying the, the, 
dust and pollen particles around inside them, and then you've got people inside them. Even you even get thermal eddies coming off the cameras themselves. You know, you've got a camera in the room, right. and it's it's a, you know point one of a degree warmer than the air around it. It's yeah. generating a thermal eddy above itself that's causing the air to rise. So you know, any there is no such thing as uh, stable. You know, uh, air. Oh, be a vacuum is what you'd need. You'd need a vacuum. There are no orbs in outer space. <laughs> I'm going to regret, know if, I'm going well, to regret wait a saying if, if there was one, you would have to say it was paranormal. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I mean, there are still there are still thousands and thousands of objects floating around in space. Oh, but the, you know there are no. Uh, we don't have any orb pictures from outer space, and I don't oh. think I don't think the the astronaut uh, the British astronaut came right. back early. Gravity, and I think I saw an orb when they were filming Gravity. And there are lots of actually there were some videos where they claimed to be filmed in a water tank because they claimed that they were bubbles or UFOs or all manner of stuff because the, the thing is I mean is as NORAD knows there is there are tens of thousands of things whizzing around the earth and space is not an space is not an empty vacuum um, you know it's full of micrometeorites that that can um, penetrate spacesuits and spacecraft, and in fact, the suits themselves have to be have an armored layer inside them. The interesting uh, thing, do, do, you, do you remember talking about that? Is is when they were in the the lunar uh, module and they would go around the room and they actually heard, uh, I forget what it was, was it a hum or a music or something? I forget. But uh, do you remember that? Yeah, that was was that last year or earlier this yeah, year? Yeah, 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 yeah. Some I, we talked about it a little bit about yeah. so. You know, there's always things to be discovered and and to find out about. And uh, and the, the interesting thing is is we judge everything from our norms, but there are a lot of things in this world in this universe that are not normal to our the, norms. Part of the problem, but they are we'll, normal we'll, in the universe. Yeah, we 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 should we should come back to this after the break. Is the fact that. It's the one of the problems with with paranormal investigation is that people look with great intensity at trying to solve or debunk a mystery and that they can't do it. And then they suddenly declare it's paranormal. When in actual fact, what it, it, it unfortunately, it just shows up that possibly they're not looking hard enough or in the right direction. That's not to, that's not to be overly critical of them, but it is incredibly complex universe planet weather system atmosphere room in which we live and there are thousands millions of interactions that go on even down to you know microscopic levels that we need to be aware of mm-hmm. yeah i think that's extremely interesting and uh it makes it difficult for you know investigators to do to do an investigation and uh in fact, the evidence they have, it, it, it would be almost impossible to, you know, for them to say that this is the results. Uh, definitely, you, you've always got that uh, caveat to it, I would think. Uh, there are there are very, very few cases where you can be absolutely definite. Um, you know, in, in all of the years I've been investigating, I could probably count on the fingers of one hand where I could be 100% certain of an explanation. But on, on balance of probability, you can get, you know, you can get into the very high 90s. Yeah. 
So anyways, there's the tune, so we got to take a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here with Steve Parsons and Ron Cole on Pararex, uh, Planet Paranormal, uh, TojiNet, AstroNet, uh, who the hell knows wherever. We'll be right who back. Who the hell knows that? Scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Lassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Chronicles International, where in the chat room, Nathan has gone into the clothing manufacturing design line with his own range of kilts by Nate.com. Um, but before, prior to that, it must be the weather in New England. But prior to that, we were talking about the weather in New England and the weather here in the UK and the effect it has on paranormal investigations and perhaps more notably, the effect it has on paranormal investigators. And we were we were making the point beforehand that the rooms, the local weather, the buildings weather, the the, the weather inside a room, that the, the haunted room, uh, can often be very, very difficult to, to pin down in terms of an investigation because it requires extremely sensitive equipment to be able to measure these microscopically small changes in temperature and air pressure because we've talked about air pressure uh, which is related, uh, as Ron said, to thermal gradients. So we do need to sensitively measure temperature as well. Interestingly, for those, I don't know about the, Sams- the Samsungs, but for the latest generation of the iPhones uh, from the 6 Plus upwards, and probably on the new generation uh, 7s, 
they contain a barometer which actually is sensitive enough um, to be used usable to measure the uh, these microscopically small changes in uh, low very localized air pressure so um, again that takes us back to last week's smart ghost hunting your iPhone is usable and uh, the native app on it will actually give you the information to show you that and demonstrate and prove to you that the temperate the uh, air pressure inside the room is changing hmm. that's interesting oh you apparently that... Nathan will do kilts with your parian logo on them there you go do you know that the most portrayed character in literature is Sherlock Holmes and Dracula really mm-hmm. I never knew that yeah, no, that's what we hear too. Not in our house, it's not. It's Ninjago. Well, no, I'm telling you in history, so there you go. It may change, who knows, but uh, that up till now, that's what it is. So, uh, you know, as far as investigating, if we talk about equipment uh, and you talk about measuring things and everything else, do you still rely on the old human body as our best piece of equipment, or, or is that should we discard it totally in terms of making accurate measurements we have to discard it totally because it's completely hopeless at it but it is our first and most important piece of um instrumentation i guess because it's it's equipped with five reasonably good senses that we that we have to take the information from because when a witness says that they've had an experience involving one of the five senses uh, we have to uh, we have to take that as our as our baseline as our starting point, and then work from that work from there. Test it, test a claim that's being made. Um, in terms of uh, its measuring ability, it's actually pretty rubbish uh, because it's it's an interpretive subjective system based upon um, yeah, a whole range of different variables. You know. Uh, expectation suggestion a whole thing of uh, physiological psychological issues come into play we can't even rely on our bodies and our sensory systems to tell us if the temperature is warmer or colder you know everybody associates and herein lies the problem everybody associates um due to movies and, and stories that the temperature drops and plunges icily when the spirit or the ghost is or the demon is about to manifest um, and you see these portrayals of breath coming out of the uh, the witnesses. I know what they call. Yeah. Um, but that's a Hollywood myth. Uh, the temperature is known to change, and there are some well-documented, well-measured accounts where the temperature has changed in association with uh, coincidental paranormal experiences or reported paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the majority of them are down, downward trends uh, but there are some that are upwards and one of the things that uh, that we know about our human physiology is it's actually pretty rubbish at telling the two apart for very very small degrees of change so for example you would know that a flame is hot and if you put your hand in it you would withdraw your hand very rapidly but when you jump when you leap into a hot very hot shower or a very hot bathtub you will involuntarily shiver and the reason for that is because the cold sensors the, those nervous system cells that are designed to detect cold are a little bit higher in the dermis layer of the skin that's a nearer the surface than the heat detecting cells uh, which are slightly deeper 
Um, and so they will respond first and they will send the trigger to the brain and the brain goes, oh, it's cold and shivers. Uh, so you will shiver for a fraction of a second before the heat signal arrives and, and switches up. And then again, so, your body also get used to certain temperatures. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, um, and humidity affects the way that we perceive temperature. So, for example, in very high humidity situations in jungles where we don't sweat well because there is, there is, uh, it's very difficult for the for the sweat to evaporate when the air humidity is very high. You will feel very much hotter and very much more uncomfortable than if you are in the dry de- the dry heat of the desert. So, where the, any of your degrees. Has it, have you ever come across a correlation between temperature and paranormal activity? Uh, on one occasion, uh, yes, we did. And that took place in a, a private house um, up on Merseyside, on the banks of the River Mersey. And it took place, uh, the, the people living there had reported for a number of, um, they, they had their own experiences where the temperature in the room had dropped suddenly. And we had spent several nights uh, and evenings and afternoons in the property. Um, and we were recording the temperature uh, at several points throughout the room, notably where they said that the cold spot appeared. Um, also in, other, in several other places within the same room, but also we were recording the outside temperature. And at one point I'd been outside of the building um, on the balcony looking at across the River Mersey towards Liverpool. And as I walked back in the room, Anne, who was in the room, um, I said, you know, I exclaimed at how much colder it seemed as I walked in from the outside. And we were in the the fall, we were in the autumn, um, into the the uh, heated house and this particular room. And when we when we actually checked the temperature measurements, the temperature inside the inside the room at uh, from the thermometer that was measuring the apparent cold spot that had been reported by the uh, residents uh, was reading 11 degrees Celsius below the temperature outside of the building. The temperature drop had taken place over uh, just under three minutes. So in the space of three minutes, the temperature inside the building had fallen 20 degrees Celsius at this spot. The baseline thermometers didn't register any change. They were placed at the edges of the room, but the one that was placed near the sofa had dropped 20, 20 I haven't made the exact figure, it was about 21.3 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius over three minutes, to the point where it was several degrees, I think 11 degrees uh, colder than the outside amb- ambient air temperature. Now, we did some basic calculations, and if we'd have taken every door and window off, opened them completely, just you know, thrown the building open, the, uh, it would have taken about eight hours for the temperature inside and outside to actually stabilise together because you've got the thermal mass of the building. So clearly something hit inside uh, at that point by the sofa was seemingly breaking the, the laws of uh, thermodyma- thermodynamics as we understand them. Uh, and I this was, you checked your thermometer to see it was. We absolutely was did. We absolutely, properly, we absolutely, yeah. The re- investigation report is online somewhere on the Parasites website. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we did do before and afterwards is check the measurements on on all of the thermometers that were involved. But what was interesting is that we also had human accounts, the subjective experiences of the investigators, one in the room, one walking into the room. Now that that is a weakness, but you do have that subjective object 
negative correlation. But perhaps one of the most interesting took place using a thermal imaging camera at the at a nightclub, an old nightclub in Birkenhead, up, again up on Merseyside, uh, where there was a group who were recreating a seance. What had happened is uh, we had been called in because a group of uh, staff from the nightclub had been conducting a Ouija board and seance inside the nightclub, uh, which was called Hex. <laughs> that, was, that was purely coincidental, and, yeah. but it was called Hex nonetheless. Um, following this session, a number of unusual things had taken place, including the bursting open of a fire door, uh, a locked fire door, fire escape door, which had been caught on CCTV camera. So we decided on one occasion that we would recreate this seance using the original people. Uh, we didn't put any parascience team into that. We just got the original right. participants of the seance and we monitored the situation. Uh, and we were monitoring it using video camera and also thermal imaging camera. One of the things that we did notice is that during the seance, we could see on the thermal imaging camera the periphery of the room, um, both walls, floor and ceiling, seemed to get colder. Um, by now this was an early thermal imaging camera that didn't give you a, a measurement of a numeric value for temperature it mm -hmm. just gave you a visual indication so it was cooler but by what we didn't know this this coolness approached the seance group who then reported that they themselves felt colder uh, the situation lasted for about four or five minutes while they then started to report various sensations um, that didn't just relate to coolness, but related to sensations of being touched or pushed or some sort of interaction. Um, we could then see on the thermal imaging camera it, that this coolness withdrew from the seance group, and as we were watching it withdraw, they also verbally reported at the same time, a fraction of a second later, that the sensation had gone away and that the room, the area around them was returning That's good to correlation. Normal. Now we didn't they did not know at any point what we were seeing with the thermal imaging camera. Um, so you do have one of those very rare, the holy grail of an investigator, where you have a group of people seemingly independently reporting a physical, physiological sensation that was being objectively measured by one piece of equipment. We didn't have any thermometers because we weren't expecting anything um, along that line We were the, because they'd never said that the temperature changed in the original seance. Right. So we were, we were just observing with cameras and one of the cameras was a thermal imaging camera. Uh, but we did capture that, that objective subjective link between the temperature change and i've always maintained and i've said it many 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 times to many groups of people throw your emf meters out of the window scrap them go and buy thermometers because if you look back through the history of psychical research to the uh, sort of earliest days of instrumented psychical research in the early 20th century we do have a hardcore although small well-documented group of measurements that have been made using proper equipment oh. a calibrated equipment that seems to link an anomalous temperature change with a subjectively reported paranormal experience it is the one physical variable that is linked to paranormal experiences interesting and temperature i think is critical to and it's it nobody does it anymore you know, ghost hunters. Oh, we do. I mean, we, in fact, we, very, very few. We, we bought very some few. new temperature 
tags yeah. and we, we used them in our investigation Saturday. Yeah. Uh, one of my first investigations uh, that I ever did is uh, we went to America's Stonehenge and uh, it's a series of uh, different stone formations and some chambers as well and we were uh, allowed to stay on the main site overnight uh, the only team ever to do that and it was uh, about one o'clock in the morning and we were inside the uh, uh, Oracle chamber and as we were in it uh, we had it we had early in the day placed the thermometer it was a digital thermometer and uh, we were in there talking to uh, a news team because there was a news team that, that accompanied us at that time. So we were in this chamber. Uh, there was myself and I believe two other people and the uh, reporter and also the cameraman who back at that time had one of those huge cameras with, you know, the huge bright lights on it. Oh. And uh, we were in there for quite a bit while uh probably about 10 15 minutes and the temperature started to drop so and here we were in a closed small space and uh we had the camera which was producing a tremendous amount of, of heat and yet the temperature was physically dropping at a uh, pretty good rate that you could clearly see now this was at that time we didn't have the um as far as equipment, we didn't have it go out more than uh, a tenth degree. So uh, it, it dropped, though, uh, I believe, 3.4 degrees in, while we were in there, which is, you know, considerable. If anything, it should have went up with all the bodies and the lights in there, but yet it dropped. That's certainly interesting. But you, you remind me of the very first paper I ever submitted to the Parapsychological Association, which mm -hmm. looked at uh, the psychomantium experiments that were done, um, yeah. I, in which they themselves noted that there was some strange temperature anomalies because, uh, a bit like the burial chamber, I guess, they were in a small, you know, psychomantium is a small right. enclosed box. Yeah. And they had a group of people in there, and they, they noted that the temperature fell when they were expecting it to rise due to mm -hmm. the number of people that were in the space. Right. And to, to my physics brain, the problem was immediately apparent in that they were measuring the temperature uh, about six inches off the floor. And, of course, the hot air rising is right. displacing the cooler air that's already in the room and causing it to, it's to go yeah, to floor makes, level. That makes so sense, that, but... So then the temperature at the floor level thermometer right. was dropping and they were they didn't understand because they were psychologists, they didn't understand right. that the temperature, it was natural for the temperature to fall at that point in space where the thermometer was, whereas if they'd measured the temperature at the ceiling, it was rising. Right. So it does, it does, it is affected by the level at which the thermometer measurements Which makes taken. sense and, and thing, but unfortunately in that case, it, we the temperature was uh, at eye level, so that was not the problem there anyways but uh yeah it does make sense though you're absolutely right because if you go in and you're increasing once again we talk about thermal jet uh jetties and so forth and uh yeah cold air will, will sink and the warm air rises and yes it makes perfectly sense yeah it can do some really really cool things many years ago um we were asked to investigate a um a funeral home a funeral parlor um 
because it was haunted. Uh, but the staff reported it was haunted. One of the things that they said happened is that the door between the embalming room and the office would, would swing all by itself. It would go to and fro, uh, and then it would build up speed and would start banging, and then it would stop, and then it would start all over again. And this was spooking the staff. So we went along. Yeah, you think? Uh, <laughs> well, the, the the day we chose to be there um, after office hours, because obviously uh, there was a sensitivity issue, um, so we went along after hours, um, but early evening, and uh, it was it was sort of late fall when we were there, and uh, we had been there for maybe about fifteen minutes, and there was unfortunately a couple of recently deceased in the embalming room. Um, which is where the kettle and the tea making equipment uh, stuff was as well. So we had to go in there to make the make the beverages. Um, uh, but after about sure ten or fifteen, fine. no, no, there was no. We even offered to make them one. Um, after ten or fifteen minutes, the door between the embalming room and the office did indeed start to move, and this it started to swing to and fro, and the swinging gradually, over a couple of minutes, got bigger and bigger until the door started to bang um, against the frame. And then it would stop, and then it would all start again. Um, and again, one of the, the beauties of a physics brain is that um, I immediately realised what the problem was. The problem was a colour gas fire that was in the office, because the, obviously there was no heating in the embalming room. Um, but to keep the office, the adjacent office warm, they had one of these small portable Caligas heaters. And when it was on, of course, it was generating a huge amount of hot air which was rising. The hot air was going to the ceiling level and then it was cascading over the top of the door uh, in, a, in a sort of vortex, but pulling cold air from the embalming room around the base of the door. So you had this sort of air pressure change going on because obviously hot air is less less dense and colder air and you have this air pressure change acting as a sort of pull push pull on the door um so we turned the fire off and we waited for about five minutes and the whole thing just stopped and then we we put the fire back on and we waited five or ten minutes and the whole thing started off again so we okay so you actually uh, attempted to uh, solve this problem without using any equipment else you didn't mean you'd measure thermal well we didn't we didn't have a chance we didn't have any need to because it was immediately apparent what the problem was it was one of those very rare and as i said count them on the fingers of one hand but there was one of those very rare occasions uh, when you can immediately understand the physics of the problem that what we were dealing with is a thermal uh, you know thermal change in air pressure uh, the hot air was rising from the fire and, and the, the colder, denser air was, was sort of rushing in to fill the space and it, and it was causing the door to move. It was, it was really very, very simple and we could replicate it ad infinitum. We did. We, we did it. We replicated it three or four times that night mm-hmm. when the staff came in the next day. We showed them, went, you know, look, we can make your door move to order. It really was, you know, that one of those very rare, very fortunate instances where you were able to say, here is the cause, here is the effect, here is the explanation. And they are incredibly rare when you can do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I saw one of the questions from Ghost Girl in there, but I think we kind of answered that, right? 
why do so many people when investigators say that they get chills or feel cold spots and well yeah i mean there's also there's also the, the i mean a lot of this is down to the the fact that a we're rubbish at it which is what we said before but also it's not just the actual temperature it's the perceived temperature is very different than the actual temperature so for example at 3 a.m even if the room temperature hasn't changed at all people will feel colder because they're tireder uh, and that will affect that they the way that they perceive the temperature or if they've moved from a warm part of the, the of a space to a cooler part or even taken off um an item of clothing you know they may have taken off a hat they may have taken off a jacket they may have moved from a, a position you know which was uh, where the temperature was you know, they got used to it. They'd sat there for for 35, 45 minutes and moved to a slightly cooler part of the room and felt that the room had got colder. And also you have the fear factor because if you think, think that the room is uh, haunted, it becomes colder. This is Hollywood idea that mm -hmm. the, the temperature must drop. So there is this human factor. Humans are... And it's also the way that... Yeah, but the humans also can sense things that that they shouldn't. For instance, I mean, I, I've worked with so many people that you'll go into the room and they'll they'll say, uh, you know, oh, I, I, you know, my my uh, uh, my heart. I feel my heart's heavy, like some kind of a heart attack or something like that. And we find out that someone had died in that room of a heart attack. I mean, we, we, there seems to be that. I don't know how you would describe it, but there there are. Uh, those instances where, where people get actually some sympathetic uh, pains in, in regards to uh, occurrences that occurred in, in a particular location. Which is why I said at the very start of the conversation, it's something we talked about before and agreed with before, is that the very first piece of information that you've got is the account of the witness who had the experience. And you discard that and you ignore that at your absolute peril because that is your, that is your baseline. That is, your, you know, that is the start line for your investigation. Right. It isn't what you found on a piece of equipment or a full-spectrum camera or an EVP. It is the fact that you are there because somebody had an experience. Or at least it should be because there are speculative ghost hunts who just go along to a building because it's old and because it looks a bit cranky and they think it should be haunted. Uh, there you have I, a slightly different a different case in point, but it, yeah. in the classic, I'd like to investigate, and I've told you that before. I like to investigate a, a building where I've heard nothing. I just like to investigate it to see what I could dig up, basically, uh, you know, to see what I can discover. Well, part of the problem with that is that you're actually there investigating it because there is there is, however, suppressed there is an expectation that you're there to do something relating to that building you know you are going along to investigate it on the possibility that there might be something there so there is you are still affecting your psychology and your perception yeah but that's what you do in so anything that that's you, what you do you yeah do I, I, in, in it is science, really it is yeah and it makes investigating absolutely fraught because you are dealing with humans from the get-go to the very end you know every investigator is a human being and they are all being affected by the fact that they are there investigating and that they know that they're investigating it is a, it is an absolute minefield, and that is yeah, why it's so difficult to be positive about you know. An I think explanation. we got a little bit too paranoid at times, but anyways, uh, we're almost down <laughs> to the end of the end of the show, and um, I do want to mention you'll be coming over here and 
MDF three butts is the doorbell, uh, which is kind of exciting. Uh, it'd be great to see you again. It's been a while, and uh, you'll be here for doing some events with us. And of course, you'll be doing spur quests. And uh, you and I, uh, we decided on spur quests uh, last year when you were over here sitting on the porch. You remember that? That's right. I do. Angels and demons. Right. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm excited about that. I, I, I have, uh, you know, a lot of interesting things that I'll be doing. I know I'll be doing the Shroud of Turing, the uh, myth, mystery, or miracle, and uh, also be doing a thing on relics. And I'll be doing an exorcism thing with you as well. So that'll kind of work. So what, what do you have for us, Parsons? Uh, well, um, exorcism things. Um, talks about uh, an interesting exorcism case, the truth behind the, uh, a, a real Hollywood movie, a real exorcism that became a Hollywood movie, mm-hmm. and also battlefield angels, because they've been reported since the days of the Romans. That's interesting, um, yeah. Bat- angels appearing at times of crisis on battlefields and helping one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the exciting thing that um, we'll be jointly involved with would be something to do with exorcism. And I understand we also have a demonologist on hand, should it all go horribly wrong. That's right, because uh, <laughs> Keith Johnson, who, of course, was with Ghost Hunters in the first couple seasons, and uh, he is a demonologist, and he will be doing a, uh, a workshop on Demonology 101. Uh, and we also have uh, Wendy... Uh, Redden, who most people know her as the pole dancing uh, ghost from my ghost story, but uh, uh, she also has written a book on papal funerals, and she will be there discussing some of the strange papal deaths and funerals, and she'll also be bringing a, a papal death mask, too, so that'll be kind of cool in itself. Uh, I will have a, a replica of the Shroud of Turing, so that's that's another interesting fact. We'll become symbolologists and we'll be actually trying to find a lost relic over the weekend. So uh, you'll have to follow yeah. symbols like you did in Dan, Dan Brown. But be, it will be a real relic. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> there will be a real holy relic. There. There, well, there'll be that several will, there, will. but there'll be one in this. Um, there will be because I'm going to. I'm bringing it. Yeah. Bye. Good night. Bye. God bless. Bye. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.